Alrighty, the first poem we were going to be reading is called The Old Marrieds, and this is going to be um, from the volume A Street in Bronzeville, and they are poems by Gwendolyn Brooks. And the first one, the what I'm kind of getting and what I feel it's about is it just makes me think of a couple who maybe got together and just stay together because of the kids, that kind of marriage, where there's not really true love involved. It's just the convenience of both of them being together. That makes them life partners and makes them be together. And I don't know, for some reason, I'm just getting that because what typically I feel like you can tell what couples are actually in love and which ones aren't. Because a lot of the times I do see older couples just sitting, eating dinner and not talking. But then I see older couples that are smiling and laughing and giggling like they're best friends. And they're not just partners trying to get their life. And for some reason it makes me think of the couple who's just trying to get through life. Because it kind of just ends, but in the crowding darkness, not a word did they say. And I think when life has so many little things involved in the day that you can get excited about, there shouldn't be crowded darkness, especially if you're with someone you love. And that, I don't know, that's just my opinion. That's the way I looked at it. And as far as expectations for the poem or for the volume as a whole, I kind of feel that it's going to be about life and the sacrifices we have to make and sometimes they're not gonna go our way or sometimes we're just having to live life and maybe it's not the choice we wanted to make but it makes sense because it's life and if you're just looking at it solely based on life and the choice that we should make sometimes that can be very different from what we may want to do Because in life, sometimes we think that going and being a doctor and doing all this and just getting the most money and being successful is what we need to do and that's what will make our lives feel fulfilled. But then secretly on the inside, you know the whole time you just wanted to be a teacher or you just wanted to be something that maybe doesn't amount to what you think success is and sometimes that can lead us in very different paths and make us look back and be resentful and regretful sometimes but we can't be regretful because they're the choices we already made because we thought that's how you play life so expectations um I guess as I said that it's going to be a lot of volumes about life and what ifs and I guess not what ifs but the things we have to live through because we didn't take the what ifs I think that's what like the sorrow the regrets and everything I think we're gonna see a lot of that from Kitchenette Building, which is the next poem to read, 
just from reading the first stanza and the first three lines, it says, We are things of dry hours and the involuntary plan. Grayed in and gray dream makes a giddy sound not strong. From this, the mood and the kind of tone I'm feeling is kind of defeated. Kind of just like thinking of yourself lowly and not necessarily being optimistic of yourself. Kind of just repetitive. You've already, you, it's kind of like you think you know the way of life already. It's just a cycle and we're here and we're living it. And those dreams, they're meant to be dreams. Um, They're just funny things that we keep in our head, but they never are meant to come true like ever. And that's kind of what I'm getting from here. Um, The next thing that I'm kind of getting and the kind of expectation it builds, I'm kind of getting a sense that it is what I was talking about or kind of just leading into that in the sense that in the next line, line four, when it says, like rent, feeding a wife, satisfying a man. And it's kind of like saying these are the dreams we're expected to have. And we're supposed to feel strong about them and confident. And they're supposed to make us feel strong-willed because we can support our family. We can feed our wife. We can satisfy a man. We can do all of these maybe And that's supposed to make us feel satisfied, but it isn't. That's necessarily not always someone's dream. That's not someone's everything. And it's kind of like saying, yes, we have to do all this and what happens to dreams. But it's kind of like saying what happens to dreams in the midst of what we're also doing currently. Because at the end, in the last stanza, it says, We wonder, but not well, not for a minute. Since number five is out of the bathroom now, we think of lukewarm water, hope to get in it. And it's kind of just, I think this was kind of like a sarcastic feel, like oxymoron type, because it's kind of like saying, like, yes, like, oh, Like, we don't dare think about our dreams because we're too busy doing what we're supposed to be. Like, doing, like, the real dream, which is probably just minuscule work that doesn't amount to anything that we dreamed of. And it's just, it's kind of like saying you're crazy to think that anything but rent, fading a wife, and satisfying a man is a dream that you should be pursuing because you're not helping anyone, if anything. Or what are you doing instead if you're not helping someone and helping your loved ones and your family and building that? And so I think it goes a lot into that and kind of just takes a different turn on it, and which I kind of liked um, because it is the stereotypical, yes, the woman is in the kitchen building a family, building this lifestyle, building the formations of a house, or the formations, the foundations of a house, a family, like I said. And the man is supposed to assume the role, like provide for the family, feed the wife, make sure he is the breadwinner for the family. And in most times, or in some cases, some circumstances, that is not the case. 
there's many cases where the woman is the breadwinner and like that and that's okay and I think the um, image it kind of just sets up for the whole volume is kind of that it's going to be about it's going to be about the things in life that deter us and it kind of just shows what happens when those decisions or those choices or those life events happen and what happened as a result of them. The next poem we are going to be analyzing is called The Mother. And the first thing I want to focus on is, <clears throat> I'm sorry, is the form. And I think that it was really important in the sense that it all flowed. And in the beginning, first, maybe like seven or eight stanzas, it is very much a generalization about what abortion is and what can happen when someone experiences it and then it is a transition to what the person who is writing it has felt through their experiences as as a oh, hello excuse me <laughs> through their experiences of abortion and then it finally ends with an ode to the babies that have been lost through that person's abortion um I really liked this poem. I think the author was amazing in forming it the way that they did because it it creates a story because in a sense you kind of whenever it's the first lines like I said and it's just giving the generalization of what abortion is and how it makes you feel you think about everyone that has had to go through that or for me that's what I thought about and I thought about towards the end because it says you think about the children that you did not get and it's just a lot of things that you feel whenever you know you were supposed to have a kid, but you didn't. It's all of the things you were doing. It's the expectations. And you didn't get to experience any of them. And so in that sense, it made me think of my mother and just all of the miscarriages she had. And I thought about it in that sense, just a very general sense of like mothers who had miscarriages or abortions and never ever got to experience what their child was like in true form and outside of their womb. I really just thought about that and how sad it was. And then as it progressed and moved on to an I narrative, so first person, I started to think about myself and if I had to make that decision and what I would do. And I... It really got me because it's talking about all the things that you feel. And then in this line in particular, it goes to kind of like what I said, the ode, kind of like just talking directly to the babies and those kids. And it's where it says, I have said sweets 
if I sinned, if I seized your luck, and your lives from your unfinished reach, if I stole your births and your names, your straight baby tears and your games. From that point on, it is talking directly to the babies, and I just thought about it in the sense that I was, that's how I would feel. Because I would know that there's a stronger circumstance that I feel at the time was more important. But it's also like, how is there something that's more important than that? And that always just weighs in your mind. And it's just a circumstance no one ever wants to be in. But sometimes people have to be in it. Um, And it, it does make you think. And I just like the end where it says and it's just very blunt to me and that's what I like because it's like saying it it, not, not that I like it but it's I don't know like I said it's blunt and it's it's accepting I think that's what it is it's taking accountability for what you've already done accepting what you've already done because the author says since anyhow you are dead or rather, or instead, you were never made. But that too, I am afraid, is faulty. Whenever that is said, I... It, it takes a lot to accept that someone is dead and to say that. And I think to say it is to understand it, which is really hard to do. And I think that... Um, the places where the poem is enhanced because of elements is kind of like right there where it's kind of like repetition and alliteration because it's saying or rather or instead um, you were never made it kind of it's that quick that quick fragment of a sentence and those phrases and it's kind of like what happens in your mind when something like this is happening and you're thinking about it, it's just a bunch of quick little excerpts and little thoughts and phrases and fragments of sentences and you're just and thoughts and you, you don't really know what to think about. And I think that's what I like about the form and the lines is that they're little things that you think about very quickly and they all run through your head and I like how this whole poem could have been thought in a woman's mind in the matter of maybe a 30 seconds or less. All of this could have been thought in that time and all those feelings could have been thought. And it's a lot emotionally to handle and to think about that even just for those 30 seconds is could be the longest in your life, but it's long enough to think of this whole narrative and to understand what you did and understand what is done not exactly just what someone did but yeah like I said what is done and I like the fact that it just ends with believe me I loved you all believe me I knew you though faintly and I loved I loved you all. Um, Just the end there, more of the alliteration 
and repetition where it says, I loved you all. And then it just breaks it up slowly where it says, I loved, I loved you. And then all is just by itself because you just, for that moment, all is separate and you're thinking about everything and all the babies that may have come through your life that you were not able to gift life and yeah that's what this one made me think about okay the next poems we are going to look at are southeast corner a song in the front yard and the vacant lot and just bear with me on these analyzing them was kind of hard it really was because it sometimes you have a certain idea of what they're trying to convey and you're almost like wait is that so bizarre like like were they so deep in their mind the way you are right now like what level like it's just trying to meet their level meet and reach their level and knowing if and when you maybe went too far in thinking about it um the first poem we're going to look at is southeast corner and this one i would say was the hardest to analyze in the sense that it gives a lot of imagery but i don't know exactly what it's alluding to because it says the school of beauties a tavern now the madam is underground out at Lincoln, among the graves, her own is early found. Where the thickest, tallest monument grandly, cuts grandly into the air, the madam lies contentedly, her fortune too lies there. Converted into hard steel and bright red velvet lining, while over her tan impassivity shot silk is shining. Um, from this... I'm getting that maybe that obviously someone a woman is dead and she's underground obviously because it says a madam is underground I'm alluding to that but I was just taking the very literal sense in this one just because I couldn't really get it because when I think of southeast corner in relation to what the poem is saying I think of her as maybe, like, I'm sorry to say it, like, because it seems so wrong, but I imagine, like, a prostitute or someone of that nature, a woman who does that stuff or, like, who runs a brothel or something of that sort. I imagine her being, like, the madam, the madam of the house. I imagine literally that and just a woman who's a woman whose life has been surrounded by pleasuring and just doing that and how sometimes whenever we're doing all that and we're just trying to satisfy 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 in the end we really have nothing cuz all we had was ourselves that satisfied everyone and I think I say that because when it says the madam lies contentedly, her fortune too lies there. 
when it says her fortune to lies there, I'm just thinking within herself, everything about maybe her body, her physique, her persona, her physical looks, like maybe everything about her was her fortune to this world and it was what she had to offer. And I I don't know, I think about it in that sense. I don't, I feel like that's maybe really wrong. <laughs> And it makes me feel a little weird thinking that it does maybe... Or not that it's weird that it's alluding to that. Like, but I feel weird for making it allude to that. Or thinking that's where it's going. But for some reason, I don't know. I just... That's where it kind of... It kind of took me. It's a short poem. Um... There's not really any, it's just a lot of imagery because it's not a lot of repetition. There's no really rhymes and yeah, it's kind of just the imagery and literal sense of what's going on. And that's what I kind of took from it. I don't know. I feel like that one's really bad or my explanation of it was a little bad. Um, the next poem we'll look at is A Song in the Front Yard, and I obviously think this one's a little more the way I was thinking, just in the sense, or not in that sense, but whenever you grow up, like, okay, for instance, I grew up being a Catholic girl, I went to Catholic school, and I was just like, every day looking at the girls who had tattoos, and the girls who were like those pinup doll type girls just could wear the Daisy Dukes and the little things on like up top, the little tops and just have their hair up in a high ponytail and just have tattoos all over. Like that's what, that's the life I wanted for myself. And that's what I pictured myself as. But until that point, my religion and my family made me believe that people with tattoos and people who live that lifestyle of just having tattoos are bad people so anytime I saw a woman who had tattoos I was just like oh she's like she's pretty but she's bad like she's a bad person she's a bad woman and I don't think that's on like that's not necessarily the case because in doing that stuff in getting tattoos yeah because I do have tattoos now I have 14 15 of them and like two big ones and if anything they make me feel more beautiful they make me feel more confident just because I'm I'm becoming someone else I'm becoming a different persona almost but I know who I am truly but just these little accents these enhancements would you say that are tattoos they make me feel different and that's how I feel like the girl or the person whoever yeah I'm thinking maybe it's a girl who wrote this poem or like the narrative is coming from that of a girl I think that's kind of what she's feeling and kind of just maybe looking at like Because in this poem, I think of someone who's looking like a little girl who looks at a stripper. Or just someone like a model, but 
someone who does Playboy or something of that sort. They're just like really done up and they just have that confidence in themselves to like take their body and they know what to do with it and that makes them happy and it's not necessarily what like it's not necessarily the I don't know I lost my train of thought because I was gonna say that or I was gonna point out and I've been trying to remember is just how much there is like rhyming and I feel like the rhyming kind of gives it that little girl feel or not that little girl feel but kind of like that the girl that it is a girl looking up to someone and it's someone who can be easily influenced by what they see and just also just curious and knowing and just wondering do I believe everything that's told to me because it says they do some wonderful things they have some wonderful fun my mother sneer my mother sneers but I say it's fine how they don't have to go in at a quarter to nine and I just that rhyme it kind of you think of the good girl of just and then yeah I guess another imagery that pops into my mind is um Rachel McAdams from the notebook or the girl from the notebook she's just this nice girl doesn't get out a lot and her parents are really trying to keep her down this path and I don't know I think that it um it's intriguing in the sense that I see I see myself like I said as a kid doing that and seeing the girls with the tattoos walk by and that's the kind of imagery it kind of creates for me like all the things in my head that my mother told me were bad that are actually just ways of life like they're nothing really to be or that's nothing really bad and the kind like the title relates to it to the poem in the sense that I just think of a little girl and like I think of little kids playing in the front yard and how there's usually a lot of things in the backyard maybe they're cooking or they're cutting grass or doing something you're just always told to kind of just stay in the front yard where you can be seen because if you're in the backyard maybe you can't be heard maybe it's going to be harder for people to find you and get to you faster just always play in the front yard and I don't know I remember that too just as a kid being told that so it makes me think of that as well and the last poem we'll be talking about is the vacant lot and this one I got a lot of imagery or not a lot of imagery but just trying to understand because I feel like this one does tell a story and I think from what I can understand from it is that it is a mother, which is Mrs. Coley's, um, Mrs. Coley, and she has, um, she has a daughter, and this is where it kind of gets lost, because it says, Mrs. Coley's three-flat brick isn't here anymore. All done with seeing her fat little form burst out the basement door. And was seeing her African um, African son-in-law 
rightful heir to the throne. With his great white strong cold squares of teeth and his cold eyes of stone, and with seeing this the squat fought, fat daughter letting in the men when majesty has gone for the day and letting them out again. It kind of makes it sound like the wife of those, or I guess the daughter of Mrs. Coley is kind of being, she's committing infidelity. That's what it sounds like and having affairs and it kind of seems like, I don't know, it kind of seems like maybe Mrs. Coley doesn't like the fact that her daughter, her daughter is doing that, but it also points out the fact that her daughter also has someone who's really amazing, really, I'm sorry, really amazing, so why would she have to do that? Because I think it is a lot about form, the form of this poem in here, because it's talking about how all done with seeing her fat little form burst out the basement door. And whenever it says that, I kind of just think of her maybe getting mad and causing scenes within the neighborhood because she's finding out that her daughter did something. And because it also just leads into saying that with his great white strong cold squares of teeth and his little eyes of stone, like it's almost being patronizing towards him like it's kind of trying to put him up like yeah he's this great guy but then look there's his wife doing this and I think it's just telling the story and it kind of gives that imagery for me in my head and um the moments I guess the moment where it was most intriguing is of course where it says letting in the men when majesty has gone for the day and letting them out again because it's just like, it makes you imagine, okay, well, what is she doing? Why is she inviting men over? What's the cause of this when she has a husband? And it's just, it makes you think, well, what is he giving her? Or what are the other men giving her that her husband is not? Even though he's, you know, strong, he has white, strong, cold squares of teeth and little eyes of stone, but yet she's looking elsewhere for something else. Like, why? What is he not giving her? What's the problem? It makes you question more, and it just makes you wonder the life that they're living. And I think that all these poems relate in the sense that you can't really, you can't really elude what's happening just from seeing something and I think that's what I'm getting at because I'm getting all these bizarre images in my head when I'm reading these and maybe it's not what it seems because yeah like it's like the poem a song in the front yard I quickly alluded to the fact that maybe the girl in the poem was looking at a stripper or something like that when it could easily just be a scenario or circumstance like mine where maybe she's just a girl with tattoos who's really pretty and you know wears stockings every day like okay she doesn't have to be something like that like even I was so quick to allude to that or maybe it's something of that nature when it doesn't necessarily have to be and I think that's the point of this is just you don't really know people's lives behind what's happening and you don't really know what someone was going through. 
And I think that goes into the poem, into the, I think that adds to the volume and the expectations I've built for it in the sense that it's kind of like saying, yes, you can have the what ifs and everything, but also it's just like, it's presenting it, but also presenting the problems that can lie within that. Because you can want to do this, you can want to be this person, you can want to have this person because what you have or the person you have isn't satisfying you. So you go out and look for something else, but there's problems that arise. And I think in each poem, there was something like they were going after that seemed better. But within that perfection, like I said, there's an imperfection and there's something that was meeting it equally And I think we don't really focus on that because we're just trying so hard to get out of the situation we're in because it's what we're in and we want something different. And we always just want something different. And it's like, where do we meet the lines of different and content to where it's not changing everyone involved in our lives? After reading Negro Hero, a part of me wants to say that the parentheses kind of gave a different narrative that I didn't have from reading the poem, but I can't say that. I think that the parentheses would have been better if they were just editions of the poem, not in parentheses, because they closely align to what is being said, I feel. Because all in all, what the parentheses are doing is giving the narrative, or not even the narrative, but just the insight that his personal insight of how he felt, but also how they felt. And... I guess that's what it's giving and because nowhere in the poem does he really is it really stated what it's not clearly stated what the white men feel towards him if they were if he were to save them He's kind of just dancing around it and sugarcoating it to make it not seem bad because he would easily die for them. So it's kind of like saying, I guess what the parentheses do serve is kind of like, like, yes, I would do all this, all this, all this for them. But, you know, they they don't see it that way. Like it's just the reminder that I'm doing all this, I would give my life, I would lay down my life for one of them, but they wouldn't even patronize me as someone who saved them or as their hero. I would just be a disgrace and they wouldn't feel lucky to have been saved by me. And I think that's kind of what it's giving. And I think moments in the poem where rhyme or alliteration was important was kind of towards the end, I think. Yeah. 
yes, at the end, like in some of the last lines, it says, despite this possible horror that they might prefer the preservation of their law in all its dignity and their knives to the communication of their creed and their lives. And it's kind of just like, it's repetition and this repetition and alliteration in the sense that he keeps going back to the knife and how what he would do and how like just a knife sing signifies so much and how people he would die at the hand of one but also kill with one and it's kind of just like saying but with your knives you would do neither you would neither protect me nor fight for me but yet I stand here ready to do both for you and I think that just it was crazy and I liked it I like the end and the little subtle rhymes and alliteration that there are within the poem that makes it come together. The next poem we're going to look at is Gay Chaps at the Bar. And what we're going to do first is kind of ask ourselves what the epigraph does. And it's kind of just the short statement that starts off the poem and it kind of just is supposed to give a quick theme that kind of wraps up everything and I think the theme that it's kind of trying to exude is that maybe being gay wasn't obviously wasn't open at the time and it wasn't something that can be celebrated but maybe something that you kept inside and feared and you often maybe cried about and I think that's what it kind of serves to do it kind of serves to show that it's going to be about something that is happening but maybe isn't accepted. And that's what I kind of get from what's about to happen in the poem. And then as I started to read it, um, the title, Gay Chaps at the Bar, I kind of, it's kind of still throwing me for a loop. Um, we'll get back to this question and this like portion because maybe at the end of me explaining it I'll kind of understand it more but the reason this is a sonnet yes 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 so there is a turn here so after when it says um new white speech how to make a look an omen but nothing ever taught us to be islands so at that point, it's kind of a transition in the poem, I think, because in the beginning, it's kind of talking about the benefits of being gay and kind of what comes along with it. Yes, we know how to we know how to make our drinks just a little better. We know how to give to women because we're just a little more in touch with our feminine side that we connect. And it's kind of like saying, yes, we learned all this from being gay, but... Also, I've never learned how to do things that typical men roles should exhibit and do. And it's like being athletic and just things of that sort, like it is stated. And yeah, it's kind of just that contrast of what you learn versus what your society is telling you you're supposed to know. And it's just, at some point you question, is it okay that I know how to do none of that, but I know how to do all of this, 
even though I'm not in the gender to be doing this and be skilled in this. And it's just, it's the crossroads with yourself of asking yourself, is this right? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And I very much see the transition being right there. Um, I personally think that the speaker is a soldier himself because it does say in the epigraph, and guys I knew in the States, young officers returned from the front line crying and trembling, gay chaps at the bar in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York. And I don't know why after reading that and then reading the poem, it just made me think of everyone or maybe men who are forced to be in those positions that men are usually taking on like police officers, firefighters and stuff like that. And maybe they had to learn the other things in order to not reveal their identity. And I don't know, the speaker to me, I think feels like, like I said, someone of that, a man who exhibits that role of just being very manly, but he had to learn to be that because he can't reveal his, like I said, his true identity. And like I said, the tone changes at the end, mostly because the writer's optimistic in the beginning. They're like, yes, I know how to do this. I know how to do this. Like I'm living life. I'm doing great. But it's also coming back to reality and saying but I also don't know how to do this and it's asking yourself if you made the right decision and if you're in the right place and it's not even it is all of that but it's also seeing what you have to learn and what you have to do in order to fit into society so that no one can know what your true identity which I think is a lot Um, one of the lines that really confused me, um, and I guess it's just the end because I didn't really feel like it was a way it was wrapped to wrap it up. Um, and I also, um, didn't really know where it ended because it says, No stout lesson showed how to chat with death. We brought no brass fortissimo among our talents to holler down the lions in this air. I think that's the end of the poem. It kind of, I don't know if the next page is a continuation of the poem. So if so, it kind of is a little confusing. Um, Because I kind of, I want to understand the relation it has. And even if that isn't the end of the poem, well, okay. But that line or those lines, I like I said, I don't know the relation and the, the power they give to the poem, if anything. And that's just something I would kind of question more. The next poem we'll be talking about is My Dreams, My Works, Must Wait Till After Hell. And... Just from the title, it kind of seems like 
it's confusing me, I will say that, because usually when you say my works, you're thinking of, I think of, or, I guess from this whole poem, what I can first say is, I want to know what hell is, because hell, for me, when I think of hell, I think of it as going to work, or just going to work jobs, and they may not be jobs that I want, but I'm having to do them in order to survive, and if you're working two jobs, that's basically maybe all day, that's maybe 13 14 maybe 16 hours in a day that you're gone maybe even more and at some point you do forget to eat within all of that because you're just going 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 you're going to work you're going back and you're sleeping just to wake up and do the next thing and in that you just get so lost that you can forget to eat and I think it's kind of like saying that. I think that's what I got from the poem. Is that you're always hungry for more and hungry for more. But you know you can't get the more until you go through hell. And then, and in the sense I kind of feel like it's maybe talking about like, or you can relate it to retirement. Because it's like you're working, you're working, you're working So then you can finally enjoy the bliss at the end of just relaxing, doing nothing, finally getting to work on your dreams, the hobbies you wanted to do, the things you wanted to fulfill. You finally get to work on that after after everything, after you've done all the work and after you've done all the labor. That's when you can focus on that. And I think that there is... A lot of there's no really I'm trying to think of a turning point that may be done in the poem but I can't really see one um let me see hoping that when the devil tastes my heart drag out their last drags that I'm I kind of see it as just Like I said, it just gives me imagery, if anything. I don't... I think of... Like I said, I think of someone who just needs to work. And sometimes, like when it says, Hoping that when the devil days of my hurt drag out to their last dregs that I resume on such legs that are left... on such legs as are left me, in such heart as I can manage. And to me, it's kind of just saying, like, I will do what I want when I can with whatever power, energy, will I have left in me. And it's just, I hope that's enough. But until then, I'm always going to have something that gives me happiness, which is bread and honey. And it's just something so pure and good but you have to love it and that's no matter what position you are in life that's the that's the thing you come home to and you're happy about and if that's all you're coming home to then at least it's 
like it said, at least it's something pure. And it's just a feeling that you love. And just the the nurturing that it can give you. If nothing else can nurture you, the food can. And I think even the smallest food can, I think. And I think that's really what's trying to be taken out of this. The last poem we're going to look at is The Progress. And I think that this poem wraps up everything perfectly in the sense that it's saying everything throughout this whole volume. It has just been life and the imperfections and the things that have been taken from us and the troubles we go through and everything and the things we may want to be. It's life. It's everything. It's a little bit of everything. Envy, jealousy, sorrow, pain, and it's all of that. But still at the end of the day, it's kind of like, all of our little problems are just still our little problems because we're still waking up doing the same thing, thinking about or answering to the same person, which is probably our boss. We're still under the same person, which is our president. And we're still continuing the cycle of life and continuing society the way it is because it's what makes sense. And again and again, we'll see history repeat itself I think and I think that's one thing that's very predominant in what we in what I've read is that all of these things are just happening at different periods of time but they're still happening they're not stopping they're not ceasing to exist they're things that happen in every generation And somehow they just get the blind eye, kind of, in a sense that we're so busy doing our roles in society and playing the role that we think we should have that we don't care to think about ourselves because we think leaving our mark and just being someone next to everyone is what's going to matter And maybe sometimes that isn't. And maybe sometimes it's just about making our own choices and not worrying about them. Because in the end, who else is going to accept ourselves? And is it really worth it? But I guess in the sense, reading some of these poems, it is because sometimes it can be your dreams and your deepest, deepest goals that you want to achieve and they're not getting achieved. And so it's like, at what point, what do you do with those? And it just, it takes me back to the first poem we read, which was Old Marrieds, because it just makes me think we can have all these opinions, we can do all this, we can do all that, we can say this, we can say that, but in the end, we end up just with someone that we were married to because society told us that we were to get married And we're just there taking in life together. And there's nothing else to be said except to just be quiet. Because what else can you say in that circumstance when you look back and every choice you've made was for society 
or for the world and not for yourself. And you're just looking at everything that you could have done differently. And sometimes it can be a lot. And I think that's just what this volume wanted to focus on, which I think it did an amazing job of doing. And I think it matched up to my expectations pretty well. I think it just had major themes in it, like some of the ones I presented, but also just that we we have to speak up because sometimes in a sense, or I guess in any sense, what we're saying is meaningful and it does mean something in the greater good of what we're supposed to be doing here on earth. But sometimes we just don't say anything. And I think that's also a big thing is just getting our feelings out there so they're understood. And just following what we feel, which I think we don't do often. Alrighty, so the next pieces we will be talking about will be coming from Riot, which is also by Gwendolyn Brooks. And we're looking first at just the title page and the quote given by Henry Miller. And just by seeing that, I think of what I automatically thought of was just the Black Lives Movement, but not necessarily in a sense that that's what's going to be pushed on us or just like it's going to be all about that. But I just felt like it was something that was intriguing and it made you want to look at it because the quote itself gives so many themes because it's kind of like saying, yes, we've done all this to black people, yet they still want to be our friends, that they still want to do this. We've lynched them. We've killed them. We've made them our slaves, yet they're still here wanting to work things out, wanting to communicate. It's kind of like saying maybe, maybe we should just unify because there's no point. There's everything we've done, everything we've thrown at them. They still just, they're resilient. They just want to be friends. They're just, they're here and they just want to live life. So why are we trying so hard to rid of them? If they're posing no threat and we're posing the biggest threat to them, it makes no sense. And that's kind of just what I got from that quote. It, I felt a lot of sarcasm in it and I just... It's a lot of, what can I say? It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of metaphors because I think he's referring to Black Fountain as obviously Black people and questioning if they will one day speak out against everything and just go crazy and just be mad and want to ruin everything in their sight and it's like well we haven't seen that since we've only just seen them wanting to be friends so this I'm kind of getting that we shouldn't focus on the stereotypes 
and that we should focus and give people a chance to just express what they want because it necessarily or when it comes down to it the black people necessarily did just want to live like they didn't wanted to do nothing else they came here to a country they did not know unwillingly and that's already traumatic enough so just let them live but no we had to go and lynch them and do all this to them for what reason there was absolutely no reason so it's like they still want to be friends despite everything we've done having no reason to do those things and i think that says a that sends a big message on behalf of black people what i'm getting from the frontest piece of this book and this work is that it's kind of like the glass the glass wall or the glass window that's holding you back but it's also in a sense i think about it as you can see everything that's happening but you can't take action because there's also people prohibiting you from doing that um and i think that's i think it's seeing what you can do or seeing the opportunities that are presented in this world but knowing you can't do them because of restrictions and it's not even that you're ignorant to them and the fact that these like things are happening cuz it's kind of like saying it like the way i think about it is like you have a black child who is looking at at that time maybe the president thinking i am never ever going to be that like he knows there is a spot there he knows what the president is and he knows there are things restricting him from never getting to that level and getting to that point and i think that's one of the strongest themes i'm feeling through here it's seeing what like i said seeing what you have available or not even available seeing what the world entails and knowing you can't do any of it but just look and simply just because of the color of your skin. That is what's prohibiting you from doing any of that. And I think that's just a lot of what um, I see through this picture. Especially because they're like pressing their hands up against the glass. Obviously to show like they would want out. Or they do want out. But they necessarily can't. And it's not that they're in a box and they can't see what's outside so it's kind of like they're not really who's really getting hurt type thing because they don't even know what's going on outside but they do they know that there's better they know that there's more that they can never have and that's that's placing boundaries on someone that's limiting what they can do the next poem we are going to be looking at is riot from the volume riot and two lines that i think like stick out to me the most um is it says don't let it touch me the blackness lord he whispered to any handy angel in the sky and 
I will okay that was the first sentence and then the first or the second one was where it says and in terrific touch old averted doubt jerked forward decently cried cabot john you are a desperate man and the desperate die expensively today and although it it makes me wonder what happened and what john cabot i guess did because obviously at the end he is saying forgive these people for they know not what they are doing but it's also like um nah people don't necessarily <laughs> i will say necessarily just kill someone with no intention and most times there there's a reason and for someone to be so i guess john cabot or what who that man i, I yes um he I don't know how to or not that I don't know how to feel about him I don't know what to think of him just in the sense that in the beginning you're kind of just thinking okay yeah he's this guy and then when it says that like the first sentence I said it makes you wonder why it kind of his expressions and what he's saying to himself allude that there was maybe something else and then the reason why they were doing it, if that makes sense. Because the the derogatory words he uses and what he's saying, just by saying, don't let it touch me, the blackness, like he's not even referring to them as people, he's just referring to it as a color when in fact they are humans and to be thinking of a whole person solely like that I think does reverence some type of anger and it made me wonder outside of this and his death I believe is what we just read outside of his death why like what led up to this that's all I keep wondering because to ask for forgiveness for something they have not done, but to also be saying, don't let the blackness touch me. They're just, they're two, two lines that very much contradict each other. Just in the sense that you're showing two different sides of yourself. So which one do you truly feel? Or not that you truly feel because you obviously truly feel the first one, but it makes you question why. Why do you feel that way? As I keep saying, that's just the lines that jumped out to me and I was just like, whoa. Like, it just created a narr- a different narrative about the person saying the poem. The next poem we are going to be looking at is the third sermon on the war planned. And what... I get from reading this poem is places where it talks about a riot and kind of just giving that imagery. I feel it whenever it says, you don't, you do not hear it who mind only cookies and crunch them. Um, 
Our chains are in the keep of the keeper in a labeled cabinet on the second shelf by the cookies, sonatas, and arabescues. And when it says there's a rattle sometimes. Um, these three are kind of just that whole lines four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Four through eleven, I think. Yes, four through eleven, I think, show differently the different imagery of riots. For some reason, I just feel like in many times, like, it really wraps it up when it says, you do not hear it who mind only cookies and crunch them. When it says that, I just think of many times riots, people aren't going to show up who don't mind the matter and who aren't really not really passionate about what is being rioted against or rioted for and so I think that kind of just made me elude the rest of the lines before it to be the imagery I should also feel when reading it and then whenever um the way I was meant to feel about the riots was when it says you do not hear the remarkable the remarkable music a death song for you before you die if you could hear it you could you would make music to the black blues and now that I think about it I think the part where it says you do not hear the remarkable music a death song for you before you die I think that more goes into the imagery of a riot because a lot of times the I think about the cops showing up and the SWAT and all of that. And I can see how maybe the sirens and everything, it's just music and songs for you to die to. That's what I kind of get in my head. But then when it says, if you could hear it, you would make music to the black blues. And kind of how the black and black blues is italicized. It made me think of all the people who have died all the black people who have died at the hands of people in our own society, in our own country, and because of what? For what? It just made me think, for what? Because the earth, like it says, is such a beautiful place. There's so many great things to be looked upon in this world that make us want to wake up every day, but what good is that when there's literally people dying for no reason? Just because we want to kill them? Just because... And that's kind of just what I got from all of that. And I think what's trying to be preached is that just the fact that this world is so beautiful and all this stuff, yet the things that the physical people are doing in it are just so ugly. And how does that make sense? But yet it's turned into something beautiful through music and through the blues and through everything incorporated in the black community that has represented the struggles and the oppression that they faced it all it all adds up and it all goes into a bigger message that's trying to be sent out in the last poem that we're going to be talking about it is called um an aspect of love alive in the ice and fire And whenever I read this, 
in relation to everything I've read before it, the poems I've read before it, there's a certain scene and image that comes to my head. And I picture a family, a black family, maybe a young black family. And like it says, in a package of minutes, there is this we, how beautiful. Whenever I write, I read that, I thought of just a couple waking up and having their family run through the door, maybe some kids or something. And I think about the love that's filled with a family and just how much purity can be within a family and the love that can be held within that bond. And seeing this woman or whoever, this man, this woman, whoever, talk about their partner, their person, and just looking at them as a lion. I just think of them looking so strong. But in relation to the other poems, what I imagine is that this man doesn't come home because something has happened to him. And maybe something terrible has happened to him. And whatever happened, you ask yourself, at what cost was it done? And was it done justly? Was it done because it was it had to be done? Or was it just because the color of someone's skin that they had to be taken away from this world? And for some reason, I don't know why I think about that. I think of a woman, even myself, just looking at my partner and thinking they are so strong and so powerful but the moment they step into the world they are they're basically nothing against any force or threat that can reckon with them if it is big enough and if it has enough will to take them down it can if there is enough want to take a person down it will happen And that's what I think about. I think about how beautiful and pure, like I said, love is and how that gets destroyed because because of something as simple as the color of someone's skin. And it's just, it doesn't equal out. It's not fair. It's It's not an apple for an apple. I don't know. I just, I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. Like, it's not a, yeah, it wasn't something that had to be done.